You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, uh, you are who you are, and you will always be who you are. And we pray in this moment that we have together right now uh, that your name would be lifted high. We do pray that for Rocky Bayou Baptist Church and our other churches in this community. And we pray that specifically uh, for us, uh, God, that you would be the one who's exalted and God, that we would uh, be um, grasped by that truth and truth related to it, and it would have an impact on us as we leave this place this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you this morning, and I want to say to you uh, who are visiting with us or who might be watching online for the first time how grateful we are to have you join us, and uh, I want to encourage you to text the word CONNECT uh, to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our CONNECT team members will follow up with you this week. If you're with us on campus, you can also stop by one of the, stop by one of the welcome areas on your way off campus. In addition to that, today we have our Discover Bayshore lunch, which takes place after our 11 o'clock gathering. Uh, that's an opportunity to be fed, uh, to hear the vision of our church, and to ask any questions that you might have about uh, our church family. So we'd love for you to be there. And I would love for all of you uh, to come and join us tonight for our prayer night. Tonight, our prayer night is uh, our family dedications. We have some great families who are dedicating uh, their children to the Lord, and we're going to hear their story and have a time to pray over them. It is a special time uh, for our church when we do this, and so we'd love for you to be there tonight supporting our family. I also want to make mention of the fact that our budget, our proposed budget for 2024 is available. Uh, you can grab one in the foyer or the welcome desk on your way out. Um, those uh, budgets uh, are going to be voted on at our town hall in November. We do have Q&A sessions uh, coming up this week on Wednesday, on Thursday at our Legacy Lunch, and then next Sunday. And so if you have any questions about that, uh, please ask those questions. Um, and again, I just want to say thank you to our stewardship team. They've gotten that budget out earlier than I can remember them ever getting it out and with more detail than I I can remember, and so I'm incredibly grateful for the work that they do. Uh, next week, we begin a new teaching series as we continue in the book of Ephesians, and Paul begins to speak on relationships uh, that we have, and so that series is going to be called Clarity. It'll take us several weeks to get through that, but we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5, looking at marriage uh, over the next three weeks, and so I'd encourage you uh, to be there, and perhaps you know someone who needs to hear what God's Word has to say about marriage uh, to invite them to join you over the next three weeks. But this morning, uh, we are looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, and we're talking about our time. 28,015. That's the number of days the average American lives. 87,600. That's how many hours are in each decade of our life. 525,600 minutes. How do you measure? Measure a year. That was for those of you who think I only use sports and Taylor Swift references. <laughs> Time is the most valuable currency we can invest. 
The late Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, was, who was one of the wealthiest men in the world, said, the most precious resource we all have is time. Former President John F. Kennedy said, we must use time as a tool, not as a couch. And the voice on the soap opera that my granny used to watch every day said, like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Time keeps on moving, keeps on ticking. It's going to pass. Whether the clock works or not, I think it does, even though we had to move it in here. The time that we have keeps fading away. The Bible speaks in the currency of time and how we ought to invest that time. Our passage that we come to in Ephesians this morning is one of the many places where the scripture speaks to this, and I'll read that now, Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to start with how the Bible speaks here to time being the most valuable currency we can invest in ourselves and in others and then show ways that we can invest it according to this passage. I'll read verse 15 again. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The thought behind Paul's previous words continues in these verses. Be an imitator of God, he has established in chapter five. Walk in the light, not in the darkness of those who are morally asleep. Look carefully then, in light of the call to be an imitator of God, of the call to walk in the light, how you walk, not as unwise, or as the King James Version puts it, not as fools. And this idea of fools is something that is common throughout the Bible. We're going through Proverbs, myself and my older kids in the mornings, and you, you hear this constant reminder of fools being those who don't look to wisdom, who aren't looking to learn. When the Bible talks about fools, it's not talking about intellectual capacity, it's talking about moral perversity. The unwise are not driven by truth. Feelings drive the unwise. Today drives the unwise. And the imagery here of a walk is helpful in this text. You can walk towards Jesus, stumble in sin, but you get up. And you keep going, you keep walking in that direction. If you've ever been hiking and you stumble and it's not a severe injury, you get back up and you keep going in that direction. But the unwise are not thinking about the direction. The unwise are not thinking in that way. Perhaps you're aware of the 1989 movie, The Dead Poets Society, starring Robin Williams. I'm not sure why I've been quoting so many 80s movies lately, but it's relevant here. In one of the opening scenes, Robin Williams' character takes his students out into the hallway and says to them, we are food for worms, lads. Whether you like it or not, one day every one of us is going to turn cold 
and stop breathing. Look, he says, directing them to look at the pictures uh, of the students who have come long before them. Where are they now? What are they saying to you? Carpe diem. Seize the moment, he says, because that is all you have. This is one of the great lies of the evil one. This is not all that you have. There is a reality beyond this momentary life. It's called eternity. And it is the destiny of everyone. Wisdom does not ask, what do I feel right now? Wisdom does not ask what makes me happy right now. The wisdom that the Bible speaks of doesn't even ask what will make me happy about my 28,015 days. Wisdom asks, 1,000 years from now, will I be glad I lived my life this way? 1,000 years from now, will I be glad that I live my life this way? And we must realize then that we have to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And as Paul says in verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That phrase, making the best use of the time, could be translated redeeming the time. It means as this clock keeps moving, as time keeps moving, I want to redeem that time because these days are evil. Our world has different values, different agendas, different priorities, different desires. The tempo and rhythms of this world are not in line with God's purposes. And if the rhythms of your life and my life are set by the world, we're going to waste our life. Time is not on our side. Paul says the days are evil. And we don't like to use that word all that much. We like to deny the reality of that word. I heard a story of a parent who uh, went to a parent-teacher conference at their eight-year-old child's school. Their child had no mental health disorder, and the teacher began to explain to the parent how their child was unwilling to follow rules, was disruptive in class, and disrespectful. And their parent, knowing their child, said, okay, yeah, they're bad. And the teacher said, no, we don't like to use that word here. And the parent said, okay, a better word would probably be evil. My child is being evil. Now, again, realizing that there are legitimate mental health challenges that are often not diagnosed, we must also realize that we, in our society, keep trending more and more to everything being explained with such a diagnosis. And we are denying the reality of bad, sin, and evil. And unless there is a proper diagnosis, there is no possibility of cure. So symptomatically, we're trying to deal with the fact that everything is messed up and we don't want to acknowledge our sinful nature. That is a factor 
even when other issues are at play often. And we can see this played out in our society. Politics, we see it played out. In the celebrities we watch, we can see it played out. And now in most people's lives, we see it played out because of the internet. Evie Williams, who was the co-founder of Twitter, said, I, want, I thought once everybody could speak freely and exchange information and ideas <coughs> that the world is automatically going to be a better place. I was wrong about that. We have to see that the days that unfold before us are evil and we must redeem the time walking carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. So let's look at how this text tells us to invest our time. There are four intentional investments of our time in the things of God. Intentional investments of your time in the things of God. The first, to being, turn from foolishness. Turn to the wisdom of the Lord. Turn from foolishness, turn to the wisdom of the Lord. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, or on account of this, don't walk as unwise, but as wise. Redeem time for the days of evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is a contrast here between foolishness and understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is the key to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that godly wisdom is different from worldly wisdom. Wisdom, according to the Bible, comes from God. This wisdom, you see, is not merely knowledge. It's not the possession of facts. It's not SAT and ACT scores. It's not postgraduate qualifications. It's not even street smarts. It is possible to have all of that and to not be wise. This wisdom is wisdom that comes from the one who knows all. We gain this wisdom by turning away from foolishness, by turning away from living for our feelings, by turning away from living for the moment. Our problem is not a lack of information. Our problem is our trusting in our feelings and our living for the moment. And we are called to turn away from that life and understand what the will of the Lord is, which can be gained from his word, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, which can be gained from his people, Proverbs 13, verse 20, which can be gained by his spirit, Romans 8, 14, in which God is constantly trying to teach us through circumstances or the vehicle of circumstances through his word and through his people and through his spirit. Turn from foolishness and turn to the wisdom of the Lord. Secondly, be sober and spirit-filled. Be sober and spirit-filled. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Paul says, do not get drunk. Okay, it is not a sin 
to have a drink. It might be to a Baptist or Pentecostal from the South, but it isn't in God's word. Look, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but because some of you grew up in homes and churches where they did really weird things to the Bible, they'd go to where Jesus turns water into wine and they'd be like, it's grape juice. No, it's not. Have you been drinking? Ephesians would then be saying, don't get drunk on grape juice. I think my odds of drowning from drinking grape juice exceed my odds of getting drunk from drinking it. So you can have a drink if your conscience allows it, if you're over 21 in this country, students, and you don't cause others to stumble. But don't get drunk. It's debauchery, which, you know, is probably not a word that you're familiar with. You don't walk around saying, that's debauchery, see? So let me explain what debauchery means. It basically means foolishness. It means putting yourself in a place where feelings and today rule over wisdom. And if you get drunk, you are inclined to do what you feel and do what matters right now instead of what is wise. And so don't get drunk with wine. But I would say that that covers other substances as well. I've literally had someone say to me before, well, it doesn't say anything about beer. What kind of weird alcoholic Phariseeism is that? <laughs> you know it means being controlled by a substance. And so this would include prescription medications that you're using in a healthy way. Self-medicating with drugs, alcohol, even marijuana, no matter what state you live in. The Bible tells us that wine is a gift. It makes the heart, it can make the heart merry. Paul tells Timothy, a young minister who's struggling with anxiety, drink some wine. But the Bible also warns us about the dangers of wine and strong drinks. And what Paul's trying to say here is he's saying, don't you live your life in a way where what's driving you and influencing you is something besides the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God be what's driving you, not your intoxication on some substance, or I would even say something you're living for. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And if you want to be under the control of something, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a lot of things about the Azusa Street Revival that I don't personally agree with. But I read a quote by one of the leaders that said this. The solution to the problems of the church today is to solve the individual Christian's problems. And the solution to these problems is a person, the Holy Spirit. He is the antidote for every error the power for every weakness, the victory for every defeat, and the answer for every need. And he is available to every believer, for he lives in his heart and life. The answer and the power have already been given us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that group began to add some really strange mannerisms to the person of the Holy Spirit. But this statement is true. The answer and the power have already been given us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been in churches where you've essentially been told that if we all get together and someone brings a banner and maybe somebody runs around and we make enough noise, we'll wake up the Holy Spirit and he will help us. Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit is awake. The Holy Spirit is available. He lives in the heart and the life of the believer. He's already been poured out 
We don't have to welcome him here. He goes wherever he wants. And the Holy Spirit is, is, tell, is told to us here, the language here is be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the imagery in the Greek of sailing. Let's say the wind's blowing. And let's say there's a boat out on a lake. The boat doesn't have any energy or movement or momentum unless it puts the sails up. And once the sail is up, the sail gets filled. Then the boat gets moved and compelled and propelled along with great force and power. That's the language here. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit and the work that God wants to do through you. So be sober and spirit-filled in these days. Third, sing and praise God. Make an intentional investment by singing and praising God. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In the early church, they had different types of songs that they sang. I'm gonna repeat that again for some of you in the back. In the early church, they had different types of songs that they sang. They sang the psalms from the Old Testament mostly, but also other ones that would be written outside of the Bible. They sang hymns, which were actually uh, taking uh, Gentile music and making that style okay for uh, believers to sing about God. So the hymns originate pagan, just reminding you of that as well. And then uh, they sang spiritual songs, which are usually simpler songs that were to be more emotional and repetitive. Today, we have different types of songs and reasons for them. We have hymns, which are usually pretty wordy, whether they're modern or they're older, and they really teach us uh, as we sing them. We have choruses, which are simple, that repeat deep, simple truths, as illustrated in the book of Revelation and what we'll be singing for all of eternity. And then we have psalms, which are more emotional songs that connect uh, with us on you know, a more personal level. The desire here is to connect with God and connect with others uh, about God in worship. And I just wanna say, I'm incredibly thankful for Pastor Justin and how he leads us in this. And uh, we sing songs uh, that are about the truth of scripture and in different ways to connect different people. But I think we spend too much time debating music preference and it causes us to miss something important. It says here, to one another and to the Lord. Peter O'Brien says that Paul is describing the same activity, but from two different perspectives, one to God and one to another. So we're to sing to the Lord. And, it, and there's a modifier that says, with your heart, which I'm thankful for, because if God were judging me based on how my mouth sounds, it would not be good. But he's not, thank you, those of you who sit around me. He's judging my heart. And the idea here is that we are coming together and we're singing together about who God is. And we're encouraging one another by our singing together. C.S. Lewis, when he writes about church music, he says that coming to sing about God should not be about what I like, but about what saves the souls of men. Now, he's not saying that we do songs just to attract people that don't love Jesus. He's saying we sing in a way that stirs our hearts and affection for God. Corporate worship isn't coming and sitting in a chair like you're a judge on American Idol or The Voice or America's Got Talent or whatever and saying whether or not you like the songs and the performance or not. That's not worship. In fact, we must realize we are 
worship leaders if we are sitting in the chairs? Charles Spurgeon said this. So in other words, there is only one choir. No offense to our choir this morning. There's only one group of singers. We're all together. We may be led from the front, encouraged from the front, but we are not responding to that except to respond in our own hearts and say, I'm committing to this along with each other. Addressing one another means that this is not a spectator sport. And it's also why we should be in small groups, connected with one another. We have to be close enough to each other to hear each other's heart songs. You can't hear the, the song someone is singing in their heart until you are close to them. And this mentality here isn't just about Sunday mornings. It should permeate our life. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live lives of worship. And we live lives of gratitude for who God is. Paul is not in some fantasy world where everything is easy and healthy and happy when he writes this. He's writing this from prison. He is not telling us to do anything that the Lord has not given him grace to do. It doesn't say dance around the coffin. It doesn't say you can't cry if you have cancer. It doesn't say there's no place for anger. But it does say give thanks always and for everything. What I've noticed about people is that hardships amplify what's in their heart. And if they're bitter towards God for not having the life that they want, it'll usually make them more bitter towards God. But if they have a deep appreciation for Jesus and his love, that hardship will make them appreciate him even more. You see, the only thing that is worse than a hard season is a hard season without a father who cares. And we know that is not us as believers because God sent Jesus to suffer for us for what is in store. And so we can be thankful for our salvation. We can be thankful for the breath that is in our lungs. And we can be thankful for the future that we have been promised. Sing and praise God with a grateful heart. Yes, in corporate worship, but with our lives. Fourth, and lastly, submit to others out of submission to Christ. Submit to others out of submission to Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This verse is a hinge verse here in Ephesians 5, connecting the practical instruction that Paul has given us up to this point and the relational practical instruction that he'll give us as we move forward. The word submission is a Greek word. It's a military term, hypotasso, and it means to file and rank, to submit to someone. And the mentality that Paul is driving to us here that Jesus taught us is that out of reverence for Christ, realizing he's in charge, we ought to submit ourselves to others continually, to our spouse, to our parents, to our children, to those we are part of the same church, our work relationships, to the needy, and in the different areas of recreation, recreation that we have in our life. Again, out of reverence for Christ, fear of God. Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And I want you to think about that passage in light of the passage we're looking at in Ephesians 5 and in light of relationships. Reverence for Christ, fear of God, and a submission to others. And rather than teaching on this more, I just wanna give you three examples of this. One's name is Jack Thomas. He's a member of our church. He's taught more people throughout his life through the schools and through the church than he can remember. Partly because he's old, but also partly uh, because he's just taught so many people. He's a servant still. Finding out wherever the needs are that he can meet and constantly learning from people that are half his age. Mary Wright. He's a member of our church who leads our benevolent ministry and other things, who is a servant, who has to take charge often and make decisions often, but is constantly trying to say, how can I learn from the people around me? And who in our benevolent ministry looks at people who have made many mistakes and never considers herself superior to those people. Flo Saxon, who I thought was 94 years old, but I'm mistaken, she's 95, who I've heard say, more in the six years that I've known her than anyone else in my life, God is teaching me. I am learning so many things. May that posture be our posture all the days of our life. I would encourage you, turn to the Lord's wisdom. Be influenced most by him. Recognize and proclaim his goodness And honor him as Lord in every relationship. And you will bring heavenly value to these worldly days. I'll read that again. Turn to the Lord's wisdom. Be influenced most by him. Recognize and proclaim his goodness. And honor him as Lord in every relationship and you will bring heavenly value to these worldly days. Time keeps going. I don't think it's 9.15, just so you know, but it keeps going. It keeps moving. What are you gonna do with the time, with the hours, with the days that you're given? And will what you do now matter in 1,000 years? And this mentality should fuel a presence in the moments that God gives us right now. Charles Francis Adams, who was the son of President John Quincy Adams and grandson of President John Adams, kept a diary. One day he entered, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary which is also still in existence. And on that same day, Brooke Adams made this entry. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. The father thought he was wasting his time because there were so many things that he could accomplish instead of fishing with his son. But his son saw it as an investment of time in him. God puts people before us Our spouse, our children, the people we work with, the people we do church with, the people we go to school with, the people our children go to school with, the people we play with, 
and the interruptions in our life. Redeem those moments. Redeem the time and live with the people in front of you with a thousand years from now in mind. So maybe today, you need to turn from foolishness. You need to stop living for what you feel, for the moment, and live these moments with eternity in mind. Turn to God and ask him to have rule and reign in your life. Maybe you need to be sober. And whether it's a substance or a longing you have in your life that is intoxicating you, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God and let the Spirit of God be leading you and guiding you in your moments. And you need to lay whatever it is that has control of you down today. Maybe you sense bitterness, ungratefulness in your heart, and you need to ask God for help to be grateful for salvation and breath and your future and live out of that abundance. Or maybe you just need to start submitting to others, looking for God to teach you through others and looking for God to use you in the lives of others, being a servant of them, no matter what else is going on. Heavenly Father, have your way in us now. Help us to be people who live our minutes and hours and days in a way that will result in your praise 1,000 years from now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.